0: Hey folks, uh, Joe McGee here, McGee Leadership. Today we're in West Hartford, Connecticut at Elizabeth Park. I'm joined by Linda Campanella. Linda, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. And the reason we're doing uh, episode eight, meeting local authors, is a lot of folks, they don't realize authors such as Linda, they're right here in our back door, right in Connecticut. And I really want to identify some of these authors and really have folks really understand that there's certain events, there's lectures, there's... These authors are here and, and, and you can actually go to their events. So today I want to talk a little bit about When All That's Left of Love, uh, when, all, when All That's Left of Me is Love, A Daughter's Story of Letting Go, Linda Campanella. This is her book that she published. Uh, so Linda, I want to ask the, uh, you a couple of questions sure. about the book. Um, tell us the day you first started writing the book. Um, did it come naturally? Being This is your first publication, I understand, right? right. In a book format. Right. So how did that go with you, putting those words on the paper to really tell your story?
1: Well, um, I've described myself occasionally as an accidental author. <laughs> uh, I did not set out to write this book. It sort of wrote itself in the first few weeks after my mother died in mm-hmm. 2009. Um, I write memos, not memoirs, but what emerged in the period after my mom's death was a memoir. I found that my grief was so overpowering and overwhelming that it, it needed a release. And for me, it seemed to find a release uh, on paper. Uh, I just found myself writing and writing and writing. She died in September. I started writing on October 26th. Okay. And. Within less than two months, I had produced a manuscript of 60,000 words. And at that point, I thought, wow, this is something I could give to my father for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was going to be his first Christmas without my mother. Um, And uh, I had no intention of of writing a book. It just wrote itself. And I guess I would would give a little bit of background, Joe, because it doesn't make much sense, perhaps, unless you know what I wrote about. But uh, it's a story of the last year uh, that I had with my mother who was terminally Mm -hmm. ill and uh, she was diagnosed in September of 2008 and as often happens when we get a terminal diagnosis or we fear we're going to lose somebody we jump right ahead to grief Mm. and and the sense of loss and very soon after her diagnosis I had a bit of an epiphany which was you know Linda you haven't lost her she's still alive she's still living every day needs to count uh... and so what I did was make a (laughs) a self-appointed mission to inject as much living into my mother's dying as possible. And I'll just say one more thing about the genesis of the book. During the year that we had together before she died, um, I and my three siblings did everything we could to make my mother's life full, full of life, full of love, full of laughter. And at one point, my brother said to me, you know, Linda, you should write a book and you should call it Living While Dying. And I thought, well, that's a crazy idea. I'm never going to write a book. Um, But after my mom died, I think it was the seed my brother Mm -hmm. had planted that I probably watered with my tears. And that is, I think, the genesis of of the writing. We we had such a wonderful year, believe it or not. Um, We knew she was going to die, but we we lived in the moment and committed ourselves to living and Mm -hmm. being very present and making her life joyful. And there are a lot of lessons that we learned that we felt maybe needed to be shared. So anyway, that's my book. I'm an accidental author. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to write the book. I never intended to, but it just emerged as a, a, cathars- a catharsis.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm in the same way. I just accidentally fell into it. And, and you know, when they, readers get your book, um, I want to ask you a few questions about that. And there's probably a lot of folks, Linda, that are in the similar boat. They have similar struggles and mm-hmm. similar uh, stories, such as yourself. What Would you really want the audio the, the audience to capture after reading the book what would you what would be the strong message you're trying to yeah. really convey
1: Probably there are two um, although the book was born of death, mm-hmm. you might say uh, it's really a book about life about living and I, I think one of the key lessons for me through my experience, both of going through the death process with my mother and writing the book, is that um, we have choices to make and although she received a terminal diagnosis that caused us to pause and say wait a minute we need to be in the moment and make every moment count each one of us is terminal my mother was diagnosed uh, with a terminal disease and she knew that her days were limited and we at that point committed ourselves to making every day count and being in the moment and being very present the lesson I think and what I carry with me every day is that we're all terminal each one of us, that's what happens when you're in a park, (laughs) and it's nice. A lot of activity Um, out out here. uh, Each one of us is terminal. So the the lesson is, what I want people to take from this book and from my experience is we're all terminal, and why wait until we get a terminal disease to commit ourselves to waking up every day grateful for the day, uh, commit ourselves to taking full advantage of of each day and of each relationship, uh, leaving nothing unsaid, having no regrets. I mean, I was able to make sure my mother knew how much she was loved before she died. Right. Uh, but not everybody is that lucky. You know, you go to funerals and you say all kinds of nice things or hear nice things about people and you wonder, hmm, did that person know how much he or she was loved while she was alive? So the lesson is we're not promised tomorrow. Every day counts. Uh, live it as though we're all terminal because none of us is getting out of it alive. So that's kind of the first lesson that I would hope people might take. The other does have to do with death. Uh, I think in this society, particularly in America, we don't talk enough about death. It's a taboo and we should talk about death, we should talk about dying, we should make sure that people know our wishes. We knew my mother's wishes and were able to respect them and there's been a lot of research done about dying and death and people's wishes and almost all of us want to give a loved one a good death uh, and to, to fulfill his or her wishes for end of life and yet just about as many of us have no idea what those wishes are because we haven't had the conversation. Right. So, demystify death, talk about death, and I guess while I'm talking about lessons, the other thing I would hope people might take from my book is a much clearer understanding of hospice, Mm -hmm. and what, what a gift hospice is. We had hospice care with my mother for three months, and I didn't know really fully what it was until we got into it, and most people think it's something that it isn't, or they don't have a clue what hospice is, but it was such a tremendous gift to our family, to my mother. It took care of her body, heart, soul, spirit, emotions, kind of a whole, whole person approach to death. And it was a whole team who took care of our family as well. Hospice is just tremendous. So I would hope oh, readers would learn a lot about <laughs> hospice care. Sorry, yeah, that's a long, no, long answer to a short question. But
0: Yeah, and I think you really hit on a lot of points for, for the viewers. I hope that, so. You know really remember you know talk about those hard questions now and really remember them today not tomorrow really go through their journey really have that special moment so i I think that's a beautiful thing thank you and uh being you know an accidental author as you mentioned uh, one of the things i I think it's it's good to really set the mood for the chapter is really have a you know great chapter names Mm. so as you start writing tell us the process of how you kind of formed the chapter names and your thought process about doing that
1: uh, good question. Uh, as I said, I didn't set out to write the book. It started writing itself in my head. And the way it happened was I'd be driving around and suddenly a, a chapter heading would pop mm-hmm. into my my head. So, for example, one chapter is called Calendars. Okay. And um, the book really is not a chronology, although it does begin with a, a call that I got from my father saying, are you sitting down? Mm, yeah. uh, and when I found out my mom's diagnosis. And I take readers with me on a journey through our year together until she died and then the first three months after her death, but it's not a strict chronology. I talk about some of the tricks and tools and strategies we use to inject living into her dying, and one of them was calendars. Uh, So as I was driving, I thought calendars, and in that chapter, I write about um, how we used a calendar not to check off days that she had survived, but rather to plan ahead. Now, she was still living. So why should we concentrate on dying? Why not think about what we're going to do next week and next month and maybe in three months? So we use the calendar as a great tool for living. So that was one example. Another chapter heading that popped into my head was happy hour. So one of my favorite chapters in the book is about happy hour. It was a way that we, right up until my mom died, frankly, injected fun and uh, authentic happiness into each day. At the end of the day, we would convene with a bottle of wine and some triscuits and <laughs> cabbage cheese, and we would just be in the moment and be together and be happy, authentically so. So the the chapter headings kind of popped into my head before I even had agreed with myself that I was going to write a book. Um, quesadillas is another one. Um, you know, my mother tried quesadillas for the first time during her last year. So it wasn't a year of things that we were doing for the last time. It was a year during which we did things for the first time. Sure, in so, that moment,
0: yeah. the connection.
1: So the chapter headings came to me before the, the title of the book came. Okay. And um, I, I mentioned my brother had suggested the title be A Year of Living While Dying or something like that. And when I finished the manuscript and, and sent it around... Um, one of the publishing consultants who got back to me said, it's a a really wonderful book, but what about the title? It's sort of dark. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) A Year of Living While Dying. And she was right. It was morbid and moribund. So I reread the manuscript, and I came across a line from one of many poems that I include, because poetry meant a lot to us during that year for reasons. In fact, there's a chapter called Poetry. Um, But there was a line of Uh, one poem that jumped out at me, uh, When All That's Left of Me is Love, and the rest of that line is Give Me Away. So anyway, that line struck me as a much better title for the book, and I did change the title before it was published.
0: Yeah, and I think that that really sums it up in a great way, I think. I think so, because all
1: that's left of my mother now is her love, but that's her legacy, and I think it lives through me, and she lives through me in the way that I love, and I try to love the way she loved. So anyway. It's tricky, though, to come up with a good it title. It
0: is. And it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, for those who haven't written books, it's, it's something very important to us to really put meaning into it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think, you know, that's really important to really set that tone. And mm-hmm. that's great how those, those, you know, calendars, quesadillas you talked about, right. happy hour, I, I love those. That, that's so great. What I wanted to ask you, um, another thing is, is, you know, being, you know, this is your first book. You kind of started accidentally writing it, you know, manuscript. Now it kind of turned into a full pl- pledged book. Mm-hmm. Is there anything maybe left out if you can go back? Maybe are you happy with the results? Would you put anything else different in the book if you could go back?
1: Hmm Uh, good question. You know, I don't think so. That's good. Um, people who read it will often ask me how my father is doing. Okay. Uh, because the book is, among other things, a great love story between the two of them. It's actually an uplifting story. You wouldn't think about it being uplif- <laughs> uplifting, given that it's about my mom's last year. But right, but there are had, those. Th- we had so parts. much love and laughter and fun. It's really why I wrote the book, because it was such a good year. Right. That terminal, a terminal diagnosis doesn't terminate living. So, I mean, I might go back and add an epilogue. About my father. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't have known that at the time. Um, he's doing very well, by the way. Oh, great, um, great. And is really happy that she lives in lives on in the pages of this book.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: so I don't know if I would do anything different, to tell you the truth, Joe. Um, you know, as a now that it's published, I wish I maybe had done a little bit more marketing before the book came out. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a book coming out do, uh, yeah. tomorrow, actually. Isn't ten, isn't
0: ten one? Yeah. Ten
1: one. Yeah. Um, So maybe because I didn't set out to be an author, uh, maybe because I underestimated how much the book would touch people and resonate people, maybe because I underestimated how much I really want to share it now, (laughs) Uh, I would have done more pre-marketing. I might have made a bigger deal out of the book launch. I might have done more um, in terms of marketing. My publisher did a lot, but it really takes a lot on an Mm -hmm. author's part to keep the marketing and promotion going. So that's more about marketing and not the writing. I'm very pleased right. with the writing. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: So let me ask you another question: Is, is um, obviously this is uh, you know a true tale, nonfiction yep. book that you published. So would you, have you ever considered doing a fiction book, <laughs> maybe down the road? You know.
1: Uh, I don't think I have the talent to do okay. that. I mean, a memoir is truth; it's it's out of one's lived experience, and so it's very authentic. And I. I write well, so I could write a memoir, I, th- I think, well, but I'm not creative enough. I don't think I'm creative okay. enough to come up with a plot and characters and all the things that go into writing fiction. I have great admiration for people who write fiction. I think okay. that's a different skill set. Who knows? I, I mean, maybe one day I might be inspired, <laughs> but I think that if I write another book, it's more apt to be nonfiction. Nonfiction, yeah. That, I just think that's okay. more me. Yeah. But I admire yeah. those who can do the fiction. <laughs>
0: Okay, okay, good, good. Uh, so let me ask you this. Is um, We showed the, the book here, uh, When All That's Left of Me is Love, A Daughter's Story of Letting Go. You've received uh, many acc- accolades in the book, right? Mm-hmm. So 2013 Indie Excellent Award Finalist, mm-hmm. 2012 uh, Nautilus Book Award Silver Medalist, 2012 Living Book Gold Award Medalist, 2012 uh, Favorite Silver, and 2011 Reader Views. Uh, so talk to me about that is, you know, having, having all those accolades, how does it make you feel publishing the book and seeing all of these responses and seeing all of the folks that really acknowledge the book?
1: Well, I'd, I'd be less than truthful if I said I didn't feel good uh, <laughs> or proud. Um, you know, a lot of people write books, and with self-publishing, uh, there are a lot more books out there. Uh, I had a publisher, but still... It's nice to get validation from some of these awards. I think I'm particularly proud of the Nautilus Nautilus, uh, Award. Uh, That's an award given for books that uh, change the world by opening readers' views and minds to new possibilities for life and for a better world. So I'm proud of that. Um, Not that I compare myself with Deepak Chopra or Barbara Kingsolver or the Dalai Lama or Desmond Tutu, but they all (laughs) won those. So I feel good about that. I think my mother would be proud. But... Um, I think what's more meaningful even than the external accolades are some of the more personal comments that I've gotten from people who've been touched by the book, who have been inspired to try something like a happy hour with their dying father or mother, or uh, from somebody who read my book and said, wow, I felt so connected to my own mother, or um, an oncologist at Mass General Hospital who said, you know, I've often wondered about the lived experience of my patients and their families, Mm -hmm. and you've done a good job of depicting that. Or I think I'm especially happy with um, what Dr. Jim Block, who's a real pioneer in hospice care and palliative care, said about the book. He said, you've really depicted what we mean, we in the healing professions, mean by a good death. So Mm -hmm. I mean, some of those more personal bits of feedback um, I think are even more meaningful to me than the the, the awards, the awards yeah. um, to be honest and to your point I think
0: it really goes a long way that you're in not so many wars, but you're forcing people to really pay it forward to really do more with their, their, their others right now that are alive to really you right. know, don't you know, wait too long let's be in the moment let's share those memories now and I think people are really
1: mm-hmm.
0: opening their eyes more and I think this book is really the, the vehicle that you're allowing people to see that
1: yeah and I've also I mean you asked whether I was going to write another book. I don't think so, but I've written a lot of articles about grief and about hospice care and mm-hmm. palliative care and compassionate end-of-life. I've really become an advocate for compassionate end-of-life care because, as I said earlier, I don't think people know what hospice is, and so they don't want it. Right. And physicians are kind of loath to refer people to hospice early because they think that might mean I'm giving up. I've got to try one more thing. But, you know, hospice care is as much about living and quality of life as it is about peaceful dying. And I just want more people to know that so that when the treatments can't cure a disease, people realize there are still wonderful options for quality of life. Sure. So, um, yeah. That's great.
0: That's great. So being we're in Connecticut right now, we're in Elizabeth Park, West Hartford, Connecticut, local author. Uh do you have any events coming up maybe book signings book lectures where can people find you any anything going on Uh
1: at the moment I don't have anything scheduled okay. I'm um I've been in libraries before and I mean my events are listed on my website nothing's coming up okay. well, um, but I'm always see, always eager to talk to book clubs uh or to hospice volunteers I mean I'll go talk okay. about this book at any time because it is a chance to talk about my mother and that keeps her close to me That's great uh, I do have a website. Uh, did you ask me what that yeah, was? What yeah, what okay. was your website? Um, it's okay. com. I have a Facebook page, Linda Campanella Author. I have a YouTube channel uh, where some of my talks are, are posted. There are two Linda Campanellas. The other is an opera singer, so people might actually enjoy her, her YouTube channel better <laughs> than mine. But I do have a YouTube channel. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Campanella Linda, uh, where I do a lot of my hospice advocacy and end-of-life care advocacy.
0: Okay. So, yeah. Now, as far as uh, the book, um, obviously you can find more information on the website, uh, but where can they buy the book? Uh, Where is it for sale right now? Uh,
1: When All That's Left of Me is Love is available uh, at uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, through my website. Uh, and any bookseller that you would go into could order it online, so Excellent. it's a- available through the usual distribution channels as a yeah. as a uh, print book, but also as a uh, downloadable Kindle, Nook, whatever, e- ebook. Yeah. Ebook. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's great.
0: So we're uh, you know excited to talk about um, your book. Um, I think it came out really really great, Linda. Thank you. And uh, folks, you can find this book on uh, Linda's website. This has uh, been episode eight. Part 3 of Medium Local Authors. Uh, Linda, thank you for coming down to our show. It was great so much, talking Joe. to you
1: today. I enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. And congratulations on your book, too. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. we're
0: going to pass that over to you okay. shortly. So this episode you're going to find on mcgeeleadership.com. You can find it on my YouTube channel as well uh, for more information on that. And my new book coming out is called The White House is Fake, uh, releasing on 10-1. It's a political thriller, and most people say, oh, why are you doing that to Trump? Nothing about Trump takes place in 1957, 92, and 2016. Mm. So here's a copy for you, Thank you you so much. All right. Enjoy the the new book. I will. Uh, Guys, so you can find us on mcgeeleadership.com. Next episode we're doing is on coaching. We're going to be talking to leadership coaches, sports coaches. We're going to be in Windsor, Connecticut, talking to a baseball coach soon. Guys, talk to you next time, and we'll see you later, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.